All right, everyone can hear me? All right, well, welcome back to the eight. Uh, it has been a while with Holy Week and then His Grace Bishop Yusuf visiting us. So there's been a lot of things that have kind of shifted us, but it's okay. We're having our grand finale talk of a series that we started, it seems like a really long time ago, called Just Pray About It. Just Pray About It. And like maybe it's just me, but we have come so numb to what prayer is because so many people, either our parents or grandparents or relatives or other people have just told us, okay, we'll just pray about it, just pray about it. And even when you watch the news, anytime there's a tragedy, we always hear, uh, well, our thoughts and prayers are with the, this tragic event or our thoughts and prayers are with whoever. And it, we've just become numb to what prayer is about. Or even maybe for some of us, is somebody even really listening to me when I pray? And maybe that's our hesitation. Or maybe that's our question of what prayer is all about. Is somebody really listening to me? Like I'm sitting there talking or I'm praying. Is, is, is somebody really listening? For many of us, maybe we have lost sight or we've lost power of understanding what prayer is all about. So we've been talking about it over four series, and this is our fifth one. And our entire framework of how we're looking at prayer has been based on a philosopher and a, a theologian by the name of St. Gregory. From around the year 300, he put it this way. Because of our selfishness, because of our ego, because of I know what I'm doing, I don't need anybody else, from that type of mentality that we all kind of go through, we separated ourselves from God and lost our conscious awareness of him and our union with him. This is what St. Gregory said around the year 300. That before, he's basically saying before our, our selfishness and before our ego got in the way of us falling away from God, we had full clarity of knowing who our Heavenly Father is. And there was this complete intimacy and union between us and our Creator. But we separated ourselves and we lost sight of our conscious awareness of who He is in our lives. He continues, sundered from that union and estranged from God, the intellect has led captive everywhere. I think all of us can relate to that last line. Worry, anxiety, worried about our kids, our future, our health, what's going to happen in my career. We have become captive. Our intellect is led captive because we have lost sight of us and God. And that worry that's keeping us, our intellect is owning us as we're a slave to our worry, to our anxiety, to our stress, to whatever we're struggling with because we have lost our conscious awareness of who our God is. So we opened up talking about that on week one. Or so we continue. St. Gregory continues. And it cannot regain its stability unless it submits. So the intellect cannot regain its stability unless it submits to God and is stilled by him, joyfully uniting with him through unceasing and diligent prayer. So he's saying the intellect, it cannot regain its stability unless it submits to God and is stilled. Wouldn't all of us love to be stilled by God? Anytime we get stilled or we're sitting on ourselves in silence, our mind is running 100 miles per hour. The idea of being stilled by God, something all of us would love to have. Man, two seconds of silence, we're pulling this sucker out. That was week one. Week two, we looked at words of wisdom from King Solomon from the year 13, from the 13th century BC. We talked about the prudent See danger and take refuge. The prudent is someone who understands that life is connected. 
the prudent understands that the decisions I make now has an impact on what will occur in the future. The prudent understands that everything is connected. And the decisions I make today will eventually become the past, will naturally reflect itself on what will come in the future. In week two, we looked at that prayer. Sometimes we look at prayer, it's just like, God bless me. And we don't know what to say. But our prayer, one pathway toward prayer is saying, you know what? I desire to be prudent. I want to be able to understand that I, I want to see danger coming from 100 miles away. I want to see it and take refuge. King Solomon continues, the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple, the dumb, the naive, keep going and pay the penalty. The simple says, oh, man, you just live once. It's okay. This one time it's not going to do anything. And we just kind of live life, you know, as it's coming our way. That's the simple. They keep going and will eventually pay the price. And we've all been there where you've seen someone make dumb decisions. And you are looking at them saying, Don't, didn't you see that coming? Like, come on. Like, we, I saw that coming from a mile away in your life. You didn't see that? Because that's the simple, naive person just living life and just waiting until consequences or penalty come their way, being heartbroken or any tragedy, because they didn't see it coming. But you saw it from looking from somebody outside. But we too, we looked at maybe our prayers for us to ask for prudence. Give me wisdom. Give me clarity to see danger. What are my actions, my behavior? What's going on in my marriage, in my, in my career, of things I need to do in my personal life that maybe I can take efforts to own it now to avoid any tragedy from coming down the line? Then in week three, we looked at hiding behind prayer, where a lot of us, it's easy. Oh, just pray about it. Just pray about it. And it's easy for us to just kind of hide behind prayer instead of taking action. And one example we see of that is every time in any liturgical worship in our ancient pre-denominational faith, any time we read the gospel, we take some time to say, Lord, make sure that we hear the gospel and make sure that we act on it and not just passively hear it to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I came before the gospel. I'm a good person. Make sure that I hear it and make sure that I act on it. We looked at one of my favorite sayings of, 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 a, of a church father who was actually the pioneer of, of the monastic movement. And all Christians, regardless of denomination or, or regardless of where you are, look at this person as being the father of all monks. This person who desired to have an intimate relationship with God to the point that he left the world and decided to, to pursue God in isolation and in in, in, in silence. His name is St. Anthony the Great. And there was a story recorded in his life where someone came up to St. Anthony and said, Anthony, can you pray for me? And he's bowing his head, and he's asking for, 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 for this great monk to pray for him. And St. Anthony said, man, you pray for yourself. You're just going to people and telling people to go pray for you. But are you praying for yourself? Or are you taking ownership of your own life? So I love how St. Anthony like, called him out and said, yeah, 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 I'll pray for you. You know, May God be, be with you. He didn't just do that. But St. Anthony said, you, you need to step up. Are you just telling people to pray for, for you? But are you doing anything about your own life? It's easy for us to hide behind prayer. And then our fourth talk, we looked at communal prayer because we are relational beings. We are designed to be in relationships as a community, just as we are gathered today. Since we are by divine design relational beings, then prayer should be communal as well. Today, our last talk, what I'd love to talk about is something other than communal prayer. Okay, good for you. Only a few of you were checking. 
some of you guys passed because it was on my phone. What I want to talk about today is phantom vibration syndrome. Phantom, I'm impressed actually, to be honest, I was telling my wife, I expect, I, I, this is my favorite part of the sermon because I expected everyone to be like, <laughs> like, like trying to call out their phone. But good for you guys, you didn't. <laughs> Phantom vibration syndrome. Let me tell you what this diagnosis is. Actually, let me read it to you from a, a psychologist from the year 2003. 2003. Actually, back then, it wasn't called uh, phantom vibration syndrome. It was back then called phantom pager syndrome. Maybe some, I don't want to ask if anyone saw a pager. <laughs> Wait, okay, somebody knows what a pager is. <laughs> yeah. So phantom pager syndrome, okay? So the first time this was officially listed by psychologists was in the year 1996. And then a psychologist in the year 2003, 2003, this is how he describes phantom vibration syndrome. Now this is official diagnosis. This is an official diagnosis in addition to FOMO, but that's a different story for another time, but phantom vibration syndrome. <laughs> this is his definition. His name is, he's, he's from uh, University of Pittsburgh. His name is Robert D. Jones. This is what he says about PVS. Whether PVS is the result of physical nerve damage, a mental health issue, or both, this growing phenomenon seems to indicate that we may have crossed a line in this always-on society. 2003, 2003, he's talking about this. He's saying, we don't know, we're, we're still trying to figure out, is this physical nerve damage or mental health issue that every time someone's pager or cell phone goes off, that they, 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 they spaz out and they freak out and they stop the conversation, they stop whatever they're doing to check what that is. This is what he's saying in 2003. Just to give you an idea, 2003, if you had a cell phone, this is what it was. This is what your cell phone looked like in 2003, a palm. Anyone had a palm back in the day? Yeah. This is how they were describing phantom vibration syndrome then. Well, there's no such thing as like notifications vibrating your phone every, every other minute. You know, I, I used to make fun of my aunt. Like when everyone started getting a cell phone, she would only turn on her cell phone when she had to make a call. Like to us, that sounds silly now. Like she, it's always off, and then turn it on when you need to make a call. Okay, you're done with the call, you turn it back off. But it sounds silly for us. Yeah, exactly. And actually, psychologists, are that when they're studying now the workforce, they're, they're beginning to notice a trend with millennials in the workforce. They were talking about how they can tell the age of someone just by seeing how they work in their office. They noticed for millennials that they would work like this with their cell phone where? Here, like on the desk as they're typing, and their cell phone is right here. So they're looking at them, like working and then checking their texts or whatever. And, and they're saying that's becoming a trend now. We're coming to a point where it's always an eyesight next to us. Maybe we can do communal prayer. Maybe it's easy to kind of hop in a church on Sunday, pray with some other people, say, Lord, have mercy a few times, kneel down every now and then, do the sign of the cross every now and then, take communion. Maybe that's easy. Maybe that's easier to do. Everyone else is doing it. It's not that bad. You know, I'll sing whatever's on the screen. Yeah, that's pretty easy. I'll do communal prayer. Private prayer? You know why we cannot stand private prayer? You know why a lot of us struggle with private prayer? We can't take silence. We hate silence. It's hard for us to embrace silence. Have I asked you, who would love to be smart? 
everyone here would say, yeah, I'd love to be smart. I'd love to be smart. But there, science has shown that it's directly connected to silence, that intellect is directly connected to silence. Forget science. How do we look at someone who owned silence? Not owned silence, but he embraced silence for majority of his life. This man is also named, is the same man, St. Anthony the Great, who wanted to pursue God in such an intimate way that he wanted all the, all the noise of the city life behind him. And he wanted just to experience God and build an intimate relationship with him without all the distractions, notifications. He wanted to throw all that away. And he wanted an intimate relationship with God. This is what he had to write about intellect and silence. Through silence, this, this is St. Anthony saying around the year 300. Through silence, you come to understanding. Having understood, you give expression. It is in silence that the intellect gives birth to the intelligence. It is in silence that the intellect gives birth to the intelligence. And the thankful intelligence offered to God is man's salvation. That's loaded. It's heavy. Through silence, you come to understanding. Having understood, you give expression. Once you have silence, you're able to understand. You're able to comprehend and have in-depth analysis. And then you're able to express. It is in silence that the intellect gives birth to intelligence. And the thankful intelligence offered to God is man's salvation. St. Anthony now has tied in silence to understanding, to giving expression, to intelligence, and then he takes it to a whole new level of understanding thankful intelligence. Thankful intelligence, how I gained that by first having silence, is me understanding that my intelligence that I get is great, but then there's something above that called thankful intelligence, which I understand that I'm here, my intellect is here, and the divine designer of my intellect is here. Now understand that, that my, my capacity is here, but my heavenly father, who has the entire universe in his palm, is above me. And to him is who I give thanks to. And this is how St. Anthony looked at expression of silence, of understanding, of prayer. Now I want us to jump into a record that one of Jesus' disciples recorded for us. St. Matthew. And I want to give you some context now before we read what St. What Matthew is writing. Now the 12 disciples are following Jesus everywhere he goes, and they are living the high life. Everyone around Nazareth, everyone around Galilee knows who Jesus is. And they're starting to notice that Jesus would kind of like step away and like go uh, on the side and pray. Like, I mean, like the whole town is wanting to be around Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus would kind of step away and pray. And the 12 guys would be like, what, do you know what he's doing? Andrew, do you know what he's doing? And they're trying to figure out, like, what, what is Jesus doing? Like, he's leaving the party, and he's going by himself to pray. And these 12 guys ask Jesus, like, what, what are you doing? Like, can you, can you teach us how to pray? Like, if, if you're doing something different. Now, think of the context now of these 12 guys. Majority of them are Jewish men. That they know what prayer is. They, they know, where they, I mean, they're at the synagogue on Saturday. They know how to pray. They know the Psalms. They know the, they know the commands. They know all that. They know how to pray. And they're asking, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Because what you're doing seems very different than how I grew up my childhood, what I learned in VBS and what I see in, in the synagogue. What I'm doing is very different than what I see you doing. 
Jesus told him this. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. As surely I say to you, they have the reward. Like, they have the reward. They're praying. They have their own type of reward. Like the, think about this for a second. The guys ask Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Jesus begins by telling them how not to pray because he's, he's wanting to draw a picture of what they're used to seeing. He's like, okay, you know how you see, like, you know, all these people type of praying, and you see them doing publicly and stuff? Okay, I, I, actually, I don't want you to do that. They have the reward. That's good for them. They have to pray. I mean, good job. They're doing a great job. But I, I, they have the reward, but I don't want you to do that. Jesus continues. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Have you thought that when we're talking to God, when no one's there, just us, silence, our thoughts, God is hearing us. God is there by our side listening to everything that we're saying. Jesus continues. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Jesus is continuing to make it crystal clear to the 12 disciples. I, don't, like, I know you've seen this in your entire life, of this is how a prayer looks like, but I don't want you to, to, to follow that model. Because their model that they're following, they're actually trying to bend God's will to their own will. They're trying to bend God to them. I don't want you to do that. that, that that's not what prayer is. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father. Here, Jesus lays out the model template prayer for those 12 disciples. And we continue 2,000 years later, it being the central focal point of our prayer. Hardly will you ever see an Orthodox prayer not having some type of, of, of element of the Lord's Prayer in it. And most of the time we end with the Lord's Prayer because this captures everything about prayer in it. And now Jesus is, is pushing their mind shift, pushing their mind frame away from thinking of prayer being an external thing, and now he's pointing it back to something internal, something in secret, something in the room, something in private. And for them to pray, saying, Father, saying, dad because the entire template of this prayer begins with understanding that god yahweh that you jewish people know is your father personal prayer pushes me to surrender my will not impose my will personal prayer pushes me to surrender my will not impose my will and this is what Jesus was trying to, to, to drive to them. It's not about the external things. It's not any about any of that. And it's not trying to bend God's will to your will. What I want us to do, as we now try to pursue personal prayer, in addition to communal prayer, but as we try to take a step toward 
embracing personal prayer. I want us to try to practice with praying with silence. If you, if, if you think about this for a second, out of everything Jesus could have said, Jesus, when, when they ask, so, so Jesus, tell us how to pray. When the disciples ask that question, you know, so Jesus says, okay, okay, this is what, how you should not pray. Okay, once you understand how you should not pray, okay, then the, then the next thing Jesus says after that is he describes the environment, the setting, the, the, the ambience of where you should be praying. Come on, does that, does that, is that a really big thing, Jesus? But that's, one, that's the second thing Jesus makes clear. I want you to go into your room, close the door, and, and your heavenly Father who sees in secret is there listening to you. Out of everything Jesus could have made clear to him, he points out the setting. I'm sure there has to be some Bible translation where they say, you know, turn off your phone, turn off silence, do not disturb when you come and talk to God. This is what Jesus is saying. Out of everything he could have said, he decides to highlight the environment, the setting of our personal prayer. Personal prayer, let's pray with silence. And let's pray with words. I know this is, is common sense. My two-year-old daughter, when she, I, I can see it on her face when she wants Elmo. Like I can just see it when she's coming from a mile away. She's coming down, I can see she wants Elmo. But of course, I'm not going to just give it to her. I'm going to say, what do you want, Ruthie? I want to ask her, why? Because I desire for her to come and talk to me. Parents, you want your kids to talk to you? You know what they're going to say. But you want, to, you want to have a dialogue. You want to have a conversation with them. If that's true for, for a parent, how about our heavenly parent? He desires to hear us. He desires to Yes, even if we say, Lord, have mercy for the 46th time on a Sunday morning. He loves hearing it. He loves hearing it. He loves it when we come and talk to him. Pray with silence. Pray with words. And pray with body. Pray with body. Now I want to go back to, like we looked at the first quote by St. Gregory from around the year 300. Now he has a very close friend named St. Basil. And this is what he said about what prayer. This, this, I, I want you to embrace how the early Christians viewed prayer. I want you to embrace how the early Christians viewed prayer. You tell me if they viewed prayer as being like just, you know, I should pray from this minute to this minute, okay, let me just do this. Let me say, I want you to see how, the, I want you to tap into how they viewed prayer for the early centuries of Christianity. This is what St. Basil said. Prayer is a request for what is good. But we do not restrict this request simply to what is stated in words. We should not express our prayer merely in syllables, but the power of prayer should be expressed in the moral attitude of our soul and in the virtuous actions that extend throughout our life. This is how you pray continually. Not by offering prayer in words, but by joining yourself to God through your whole way of life so that your life becomes one continuous and uninterrupted prayer. That is beautiful. You think, he, you think St. Basil is in there telling you, okay, well, you pray from this time to this time, and then you say this? He's saying prayer is a way of life. It's my breath. It's continuous, that there's, there's no distinction. I remember in seminary, the thing that always resonates with me, they, they, told, they told me in preaching, what I say as a preacher, as a priest, is a continuation of what I do afterward, that my entire life should be a prayer, my whole entire life should be a sermon. That's not true just for me. That's true for all of us. 
the prayer is continuous. It's not something that happens on Sunday morning. It becomes a way of life. And it becomes embedded. It becomes a holistic part of who I am. This is why, my friends, in this pre-denominational church, prayer involves our senses. Maybe very minimal because we're in a hotel, but it involves our senses. It involves this. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm just touching my body. But it's something, a gesture that I'm doing externally to remind me of something internally. That my freedom, my identity is found in the cross. I do it in a prostration where I remind myself, yeah, maybe I think I'm all that sometimes, but I'm actually, I have my own problems. And I remind myself that I need to put to death my problems and I need to rise as a new person, as a new child of God. So all of this is involved. Even, yes, this is cardboard. This is nothing. But I pray, I, I kiss it as saying, I, I desire to be one with you. Just as you might admire a, a family picture, it's the same thing. You tell me I have to pray by doing all this stuff? No. But I'm saying this has been practiced for centuries throughout the church for there to be this intimate, holistic, holistic connection of my whole way of life uniting with God. I love what he says. This is how you pray continue. Not by offering prayer in words. It's not just words, but by joining yourself to God through your whole way of life. This involves every part of who we are. It is not limited down to words. What should I say? What should I not pray? There are psalms, and even in our hymns, where we just say, Lord, hear my sighs. A sigh is a prayer. Venting is a prayer. It involves every part of who I am. The example that came to mind is when my wife, when my wife and I, you know, are uh, having a, a very uh, nice conversation, a very conflict, if there's a fight involved, I say, okay, you know what, let's not be on the phone anymore, let's not text, but when you get home, let's talk it out. There's a difference between body language of us involving our entire self in the conversation in a very normal, uh, peaceful way. But we need to have, uh, there has to be this, there, there's involved in communication, it's more than just words. It's more than just words. Pray with silence, pray with words, pray with body, and pray through music. Pray through music. Music is powerful. Music is powerful. Like if I, if, if, if just imagine, just imagine, for a two-hour service, we just said everything, amen, 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 your death, O Lord, we proclaim. Imagine we just, we just said everything without any music. Music takes words and allows it to, to, to transcend something new and allows it to penetrate into who we are. This is the power of music. We all have that certain track, that certain music. When you hear that certain whatever part of that song, ah, I mean, it resonates with you because that's the power of music. Right now, for 50 days, we're celebrating that Jesus overcame death. And instead of us just saying, you know, Christ has risen from the dead, you know, he trampled down death by his own death and he gave us life. Instead of us just saying it, we belt it, we sing it, we get very joyful, and we sing it in a very uplifting way for us celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Praying through silence, praying through words, praying through body, praying through body, and praying through music. How this all connects together is through something called the Egbeya. The Egbeya, which is the Coptic word meaning a book of, of prayer or, or, or a book of hours. 
and in it involves various prayers. Because maybe when we pray by ourselves, we're just like, yeah, God bless me, you know, help me through this day, and, you know, whoever didn't come this week, make sure they come next week. That, that's, a, that's a kind of our generic prayers that we say. But sometimes the church is saying, listen, I know you don't know what to say. And this is why the church gives us a guide, a template to help us focus in prayer. And this involves the cross. This involves a prostration. This involves closing my eyes. This involves my hands like this. This involves my whole way of life, as St. Basil said. Just to give you small glimpses, just to give you small glimpses of maybe we look this, oh, I mean, I'll speak for myself. As a kid, Agbeya time, man. I, I, I would come to church late after Agbeya so that way I don't have to attend Agbeya prayer because it's, it was boring. Okay, that, that was my view as a kid. But now it, it, there's so much life in it. Just to give you an idea, Here's morning prayer. O Christ our God, the true light, let the luminous senses and the bright thoughts shine within us, and do not let the darkness of passions hover over us. What is the church uh, holding our hand telling us? Okay, in the beginning of the day, say that we want God's light, not the darkness of my selfishness, my passions, my lusts, my, my, my struggles. I don't want that passion to consume me. I want your light to begin my day. Midday. The church holds our hand and says this. Just as your Holy Spirit empowered the disciples, let your Holy Spirit empower me. But the church says, okay, in the middle of the day, say, just as the Holy Spirit worked and through these 12 disciples and worked through the early Christians, it can work through me in the exact same way. I, I desire your Holy Spirit to convict me, to give me that itch, to empower me, to give me the words of wisdom of how to deal with this struggle, how to deal with this conflict, just as your Holy Spirit empowered so many people that have come before me. During the sixth hour, one of my favorite, and we pray it during liturgy. We say, there is no excuse. There is no justification for my many sins. The church, listen, we are very creative people. We justify what we do. I have every right to like text her this. I have every right to do that because whatever. We are very smart on being creative of justifying our actions. But the church says, to reminds us, there is no excuse nor justification because of my many sins. And at the end of the, uh, of the Igbeya prayer, near the end of the day, the church focuses on reminding us that this life is temporal. All this will come to an end. All this will come to an end. And just rem it reminds us that I'm, I'm just a tourist here. I'm just a visitor here. I have a role. I have a purpose in this life that I am designed to fulfill right now. Well, if God wants to take me tomorrow, okay. My, my job is done. But the church reminds us of that. All of those truths is packed in this guidebook that we know in our ancient faith as the Igbeya. Hopefully we look at it through a new lens and all of this, praying through silence, praying through words, praying through with body, praying through music, all of that is captured in this handy book that we know as the Igbeya. All of us are craving something. This is what I want to say at the end of this, uh, this is the last thing I want to say for this five week series. All of us are craving something. You wouldn't be here if you were not craving something. New job, new car, new relationship, whatever. All of us are craving something. But filling that void through whatever stuff comes and goes. But what's going to fill that void is when I look back at my divine designer, who created me, who knows how to fill that void, of me embracing him through prayer, through personal prayer through communal prayer. Hopefully, through these five sessions, 
that we can look at prayer just instead of just being, yeah, 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 just pray about it. But prayer is what gives me wholeness. Prayer is what gives me the fullness of life. Reconnecting my union and regaining my conscious awareness of knowing who my heavenly father is. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, sometimes we don't know what to say, but we know that you are working in our lives. We know that you love us more than we'll ever know. Lord, give us clarity, give us wisdom, give us the perseverance of embracing prayer, of us reconnecting with you through our entire life, and not just put it into a box in our bubble that this is my time of prayer, this is not but it becomes an entire part of who we are. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, Done is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Forgive me, guys, for running a little bit. We'll begin a brand new series uh, right here. Hopefully, I think we'll have more of the ballroom, but it's okay. We'll be back here uh, next Sunday. So we'll still be at the hotel a week from today.